Well, we're on our, our second week, uh, a series we just started to, uh, entitled A Walk Worthy of the Lord, A Walk Worthy of the Lord. And last week, we, we worked through uh, Colossians 1, uh, 9 and 10 there, where, where Paul lays out this, this idea of, of walking and li- living your life in a manner that's worthy of Jesus, worthy of the name of Christ, worthy of the gospel worthy of the calling that we have as believers. And uh, that is a huge thought, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And, and I emphasized last week, and I want to emphasize it again, that that's not something you come by by striving. You don't get in the flesh and try a lot harder, and now you're walking worthy of the Lord. This is a gift in grace. This is about saying yes to the leadership of the Lord. And it's only by grace that we'll live lives that are worthy of him. Amen. This is not about sort of building your character a little bit more. Amen. And so uh, we laid it out last week and we, we, we talked about the, the broadest thoughts, which is understanding what God's plans are, not just for us in the moment, but long term. Where is this thing going? Where is this thing called the kingdom going? What's his plan for his son and then how do we fit into that plan? How do we live a lifestyle that's worthy of the Lord? And, and so we just kind of laid the, the, the groundwork last week, set, set some foundations. And, uh, and this week, I want to walk through uh, a few more thoughts. And I want to highlight uh, an issue that seems to be the summary idea. When you look through the verses of what's worthy of the Lord, what a lifestyle worthy of the Lord is, when you you look at that phrase and you read all the the verses in the New Testament, there is a a, uh, principle that that clearly sticks out, and I'm going to land on that today. But uh, I want to just kind of start our conversation in, in Ephesians 4. So flip on over there. <clears throat> and if you don't have your Bible, it'll come up on your screen. And uh, I want to I just work through this because in Ephesians 4, in the first few verses there, Paul, he lays out five different points. He says, I'm, I'm urging you to walk worthy, and here it is in these ways. One, two, three, four, five. He lays them right out for us. And I promised you last week, I said, there's at least one of them that I've never heard a message on. I've never even heard it emphasized. I've heard it mentioned uh, from a certain angle, but really never heard believers urged to live this value of what the Bible says is living life worthy of Jesus. And I will tell you which one that is and probably preach a whole message on it next week. But today I want to deal with the summary thoughts about what walking worthy of the Lord is. And I will tell you right off the bat, let me just confess to you now. As I was studying this and allowing this to hit my heart, I just, I just had to come to grips with the fact that I do want a worthy walk, but I don't want to do what the Bible says to walk worthy. Just real. As I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, couldn't you have said it's something easier than that? Couldn't we have done like a worthy walk is having fun or something, you know? 
couldn't it have been my own personal preferences makes my walk worthy? He goes, come on, buddy. And I'm like, I know. I know it's not going to be my way, but I, I'll just be honest. This, these thoughts and, and what I, it's, it's, the thoughts are easy when you just look at them as a, you know, kind of a, a main idea. But when you work through the implications of what that means for, for you individually and all of us corporately and the body of Christ as a, as a whole, man, it's, I'll tell you what, it will do violence to uh, personal preference. So, Put on your helmet or your seatbelt or something because we're just going to work through this. Ephesians 4. You guys are here, right? All right, double checking, just making sure. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul speaking. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. With all humility... And gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, I said last week, and I'll say it again, when the scripture says worthy of the Lord, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling... It's talking all about the same idea, and it just means being worthy of the man Christ Jesus. Being, walking in a manner worthy of being called by Jesus' name. And so when Paul is writing this, I want you to hear it in the way the Ephesians would have heard it. Because when he says, I the prisoner of the Lord, he's actually in jail in Rome. Uh, the last, toward the end of his life, he was uh, in a rented house with a Roman guard watching him all the time. And he's writing letters from that place. And here he is, imprisoned for the cause of Christ. He's coming to the end of his race. And he has got lots of time to pray and think. And so he's saying, as one who is imprisoned, For the cause of Jesus. Just let that, let the weight of that settle on you so you can catch the the spirit with which he's going to ask for this. As one who is imprisoned for the cause of Jesus. He goes, I, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you. I urge you. He goes, I'm serious about this. I really, really want this from you. I want you to live this way. Because I'm urging you to walk worthy of the calling. Live your life in a manner that's acceptable to be called by the name of Christ. I look at it and go, oh man. That, that, just that thought right there, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul in jail. He, he's, he's saying it to the Ephesians there in the first century, but beloved, he's saying it to us today. Walk worthy, brethren. Walk worthy, brothers and sisters. Walk worthy of the Lord. I was uh, reading all the verses, of course, again this week, just that talk about worthy. And, and, and Paul says about the same thing to the, to the, the church at Thessalonica in and, and 1 Thessalonians 2.11. I'll just read it to you. He says, you know, you remember how like a father with his children, 
we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you, which, I mean, it's, it's charged, urged, implored you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. And I just feel Paul's energy. You know, in that to the Thessalonians and, and, and here to the Ephesians, he says, I want this for you. I'm urging you. In other words, this needs to be important. It's emphasized. It needs to be important. There needs to be something in our heart where we kind of daily through the lens, we go, what pleases you, Lord? How can my life please you? What can I do to please you? What is a worthy walk for you, Lord? Paul's going to lay it out for us. He gives us five. He goes, I'm urging you as a prisoner of the Lord, walk worthy of the calling which you've been called, and here's how. Five points. All humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance. Another translation says bearing with one another. Diligent to preserve the unity of the, of, the, of, the, of the spirit. Diligent to preserve unity. Humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance or bearing with one another. Diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. Well, immediately for me, when I, when I began to read through that list, my first thought was, Huh, I would have thought a worthy walk would have had some other things in there. Where's be fiery for God or, you know, win a bunch of people to the Lord or I don't know. There's got to be, you know, it seems like some of the the zestier things that are emphasized a lot are kind of not there. I go, so, you know, where's the blow them up kind of stuff, you know? Preach the gospel and heal the sick and make disciples of all nations. You know, where is that? Here's Paul, the prisoner in jail, thinking it through, praying, asking Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit goes, here it is. And he gives what I would consider to be things that are not emphasized hardly ever. And the one, here's the one that sticks out to me the most, gentleness. Want to walk worthy of the Lord? Be gentle. Be gentle. Be gentle. I th- that thing hit me like a spear. I, when I read I, gentleness, oh no! <laughs> because there are certain people that I think of as gentle. <laughs> Not this guy. Not me. And man, it went right through me. I went, oh, dude. I mean, a couple of these other ones a little bit here and there, but gentleness? I'll spend a whole week on gentleness next week. It's that serious. (laughs) We're going to unpack gentleness next week, and it's like, are you kidding me? Gentleness. I'm going to do a whole week on gentleness. You know why? Jesus is gentle. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle. Yes, the guy that flipped the tables is gentle. 
So it doesn't mean you can't be bold, fiery, passionate, zealous, but there's a whole myriad of revelation in, in, in this idea of being gentle. That I've, I, and I've never heard a message on it. I've never heard it emphasized, never heard a message on it personally. Maybe you have, maybe you've got a volume. Maybe you've got a whole commentary on gentleness. I don't. But we'll go through it next week. Here's what I want to point to. I'm not going to work through all five of these. I want to mention humility. I, you know, I've preached quite a bit on humility. I've studied humility a lot. I wrestle with my own arrogance and desire for meekness a lot. And uh, hours of preaching that you can get on our podcast. And I just came to, to think of this, you know, as it relates to humility, if you spent your life humbling yourself and seeking humility, you probably wouldn't waste your life. That would probably be a good way to spend your life, humbling yourself and seeking humility. Because humility is that emphasized in the scripture. It's such a major strand of the nature of God, meekness, humility. So he says, worthy walk, first thing, be humble. Well, of course, I mean, it's almost, I knew that one, like, of course. Second thing, be gentle. I start going, uh-oh. Third thing, be patient. Anybody, anybody disqualified yet? Fourth thing, Bearing with one another. Showing tolerance for one another. Where are you heading with this, Paul? You're trying, you're trying to get us, you're trying to like, you're trying to bust all of us? Where are you going with this? He goes, here's where I'm going with it. Number five. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Peacefully. He goes, a worthy walk is diligent to preserve unity in the household of faith. As I studied this idea of a worthy walk, the emphasized idea, the overarching emphasized idea is the issue of unity. Everybody say unity. That is the emphasized idea. Unity. I just, I just, I, I thought it would be something else. Because I don't, and this is where I am, I'm a little carnal, I guess. I don't tend to think of unity of way up here. I go, you know, we got to be, yeah, we got to get along. I mean, duh. What about sharing the gospel with the nations? And what about the love of God? And, you know, what about Holy Spirit stuff? He goes, be united. Actually, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. See, Holy Spirit is not divided. Holy Spirit is in each believer. There's a unity that's available in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is in each believer. The question becomes, will we walk in the Holy Spirit or will we walk in our flesh? The question becomes, will we walk in the Holy Spirit or we walk in our flesh? This is, that, that's, your, your, that's your part right there. You're supposed to say amen. The question becomes, will we walk in the Holy Spirit or will we walk in our flesh? Holy Spirit is in each, each believer. He is not against himself. 
right? He is united. He says, I want you to preserve, the, uh, to, to diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit. Let there not be divisions among the household of faith. He goes, and do it in the bond of peace. Peacefully go after unity. Well, if there's going to be, here's the point. If there's going to be diligence and you've got to do it peacefully, that lets me know that this thing could get messy on the way to unity. If we've got to be diligent about it and we've got to make sure we do it peacefully. That lets me know that there could be some fireworks along the way. Amen. Which is why he says, all humility, gentleness, and he goes down this list that totally, I mean, it just defeats all of our human arrogances. I mean, he goes, all patience, bearing with one another, be united. Be united. Now look at Philippians 1. Just in case you don't believe me about this issue of unity. Philippians 1, verse 27. We're going to do a little bit of a Bible study this morning. I'm just going to hit you with a bunch of verses because after a while, we've just got to allow the verses just to convict us and, and, and convert us, to change us. Philippians 1, 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them but of salvation for you and that too from God. He goes, I want you to walk worthy of the gospel of Christ and here's the testimony I'm looking for that you stand firm in one mind. You stand fast in one mind and you strive together for the faith of the gospel. He goes, there's two points I'm looking for. So when he says it to the Philippians, he emphasizes two points. When he says it to the Ephesians, he emphasizes five. The two here are this, stand firm firm in one spirit, which means stand immovable together. Hang on to each other, hold on to each other, and don't allow yourself to be moved. Stand fast, stand firm, be together. He goes, this is a worthy walk. Unity? Yes, unity. And he goes, in second strive together for the gospel. Now we get hung up over that word strive because we emphasize striving in the flesh as a negative. And he's not talking about striving in the flesh. He's talking about wrestling and fighting together. Arms linked. Side by side. Going for this thing together. Going after something together. Seeking the Lord and asking God to release power on the gospel to see the expansion of the kingdom together. Doing this thing all together. Because the testimony I'm hoping for you, Philippians, is that you guys would stand together and fight together. That's what I'm looking for. And he identifies those two points as walking worthy of the Lord. Now it appears to me 
when you read through the book of Philippians, because in every single chapter of the book, he emphasizes being of one mind, of one spirit, being united in faith. It appears to me he's trying to work them through some of their infightings. He's doing some other things there, but he's trying to work them through some of their infightings. Now, here's my thing. I can speak completely with, with uh, liberty on this subject right now because I'm not aware of that. So I'm, I'm freed up. I can just go after this. Like in our environment, uh, I don't, like I'm not sitting up here like waiting for the you know, opportunity to preach a unity message because there's so much discord. I don't know about discord, so I can preach unity real, real strong. And this is the apostolic testimony of a worthy walk. To fight together, to stand together, to be united in one spirit and diligent to preserve that unity. Man. The emphasis on unity convicted me. Because I don't, I mean, I just don't think of myself as one that's, yeah, I'm not trying to tear people down. I'm, I'm trying to encourage people and build people up. I don't spend a lot of time talking about, you know, people or, or even other ministries. I, I just don't. I just don't, I don't have a value for it. But on the other hand, I don't, I don't spend a lot of emphasis in trying to, to you know, uh, uh, how do I say it? I, I don't emphasize unity a lot either. I just emphasize Jesus. Now I know there's unity in Jesus, but here's the apostle in Jesus emphasizing unity. And this needs to be something we need to take a look at. Now, probably about two months ago, I'm sitting in the prayer room and somebody's praying for unity on the prayer mic. And I do not know why, but it catches my attention. And I begin to write about unity. And I feel like the Lord is speaking to me about this issue of unity. And honestly, I write it down and I go, huh, hadn't thought about that in a while and just logged it away. And as I'm preparing this message and I realize I'm talking about a worthy walk, but I'm going to emphasize this issue of unity because that's what's emphasized in the scripture. I go, wait, what was that thing I wrote down? I thought I got it from the Lord. Huh, let me look at that. So I pull it out and I go, oh my goodness. This is what the Lord is getting at. Here's what he's getting at. Unity is kind of like the idea of world peace. Have you ever seen like a, uh, maybe a, 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 a spoof or a comedy or something where they, they have a, a pageant and all the contestants get up there and they say, now what is your greatest desire? And they all go, world peace. And the next one can say, what's your greatest desire? World peace. You know, everybody wants world peace. Unity in Christ is kind of the same thing. We go, uh, what do you, what's the biggest desire you have for the church? That we'd all be united. We'd sing Kumbaya and we are the world and we would just lock arms with each other and just love everybody. We are the world. That, that, that's actually not what unity is about. We are the world in Kumbaya. So I'm in the prayer room. I'm, I'm sitting there. This, uh, one of our staff's praying for for unity, and the Lord starts speaking to me about unity. I write it all down, I log it, don't even think about it, and then I pull it back out, and the Lord says this to my heart. <clears throat> this, is what, this is what I had written down. Most of our ideas of unity are centered around human sentimentality. We have our thought about what unity is, and we imagine it to be something that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. Most of our ideas of unity are centered on human sentimentality and not centered around Christ. Mm. 
I go, okay. So we got to get unity around Christ. Amen, I'm into that. And so therefore, unity around Christ requires death to many of the things you hold personally dear. Okay, because I kind of thought we could all be united and have all of our own opinions too. Well, I kind of thought we could all come together, just all come together and have our own preferences and just everybody get along. We'd sing Kumbaya and we are the world. Or how's it, what's the Coca-Cola Christmas song? I like to teach the world to sing. It's mostly humanism. It's not mostly Christ. Most of our ideas are sentimental. They're not centered on Christ. And therefore, we don't ever get to unity because we don't realize it's going to require our own preferences to go. Am I communicating yet? True unity is Christ-centered and Christ-crafted. And if it's not, it's not true unity. My point becomes this, unity of the faith is just that. Unity of the spirit is just that. It's of Jesus, it's of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Jesus is the one who is going to bring unity and he's gonna bring it on his terms and not on ours. There is a unity that is God's idea that really actually does violence to a lot of our own ideas. It's like in marriage. In marriage, you know, there's this whole fantasy. You know, the, the young couple, they fall in love, and, and somewhere, the, you know, the guy, he buys the girl the half, you know, jewelry thing, and it's a, half of it says I-L-O, you know, and, and, on the, and it's Y-O, and on the, on the other side, it's V-E and U, and you, when you put them together, it says, I love you, you know, and it's two halves come together, and he's wearing the I-L-O-V-E, you know, whatever it is, I-L-O-Y-O, she's wearing the other part, the U-V-E, you know, and it works perfectly when you put it together, I love you. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works in marriage. <laughs> In marriage, it's like you have your own hole and they have their own hole and you cram them together until finally one of them is left. There's one left that required the crushing of both. That's marriage. I'm just trying to take the singles off of Fantasy Island right now. Come on. Fantasy Island. The plane, you need to come off of fantasy. Here's the deal. So if that's how it works in marriage, we until a new one is formed. What is that going to look like in a church? <sighs> you know, I mean, you know, 500 people smashing into each other. <laughs> Beloved, that's real. Honestly, the number of collisions that happen in a community that's really seeking 
seeking community, common unity, the number of collisions that have to happen for real unity to come about, I mean, it's huge. It requires then us to have a walk worthy of the Lord in all humility, in gentleness, in patience, bearing with one another, diligent to preserve unity. You catching this? This thing is important to the Lord. It's emphasized in Scripture. It's not what man imagines it to be. It requires so much of the death of our flesh and our own preferences. But it's worthy. It's worthwhile. It's worth it to go for real unity under the banner of Christ. Jesus did not die so that we would be this, you know, body that's separated into a billion parts. He actually wants the body to be joined together in love, united with himself as the head. And that requires many of our own ideas, plans, preferences, opinions to take a back seat. If unity is identified as something that is a, uh, worthy of the Lord, worthy of the calling with which we're called, worthy of the gospel, that means that unity is precious and important. It's precious. And it's challenging. You guys know Psalm 133. It's quoted all the time about unity. I'll just read part of verse 1 and part of verse 3. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. There's this thing about it when people come in unity, when their hearts are united under the banner of Christ, when they've put away their own preferences and their own opinions, they've come together around Jesus, fellowshipping in Christ, and they're, they're, they're giving and loving and serving and offering, and, and every joint is supplying. There is this place of, of power that the Lord identifies, and it's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were all in one accord. And man, in that place of unity, it's where there's, there's this commanded blessing. But you know, one of the challenges that we have, Americans are not very communal. We're very entrepreneurial. We like to, you know, do a thing, start a thing. You know, we, we, we like to take ground, but we're not very communal. We live in subdivisions. Even our communities are separated, subdivisions, in our own houses, on our own property, in our own homes. And then in our homes, we have our own room. I mean, you can study cultures and history. Man, they would they just all sleep together. My wife and I just marvel at that. You look at the First Nations, uh, Native Americans, one tent, everybody's in the room together. Everything happened together. I was like, how'd they do family stuff? 
things. How did they not go extinct? I mean, that's how they did life. In many cultures, it's all together. Not in America, it's all separate. We drop our kids off to school. We go to our own place of work. You know, it's just this, man, really segmented thing. And, and it's, just, it's just how it is. So unity here has all, got all these hurdles that we have to overcome. Some cultures, they're way more communal, and they have way less hurdles to overcome. I mean, think about it. Everybody virtually has their own number, their own phone. You guys will remember, I mean, when I grew up, we had one phone in the family. I used to have to answer my phone. Humphrey residence, Billy speaking. That's how I had to answer my phone. The family phone. Humphrey residence, Billy speaking. Now, everybody's got their own number, their own phone. You know what I mean? This own individual identity. So many of the things that we think of as normative, they're really not that normal in other parts of the earth and historically. And and, and really, they, they, they fight against these ideas of unity. It's kind of interesting. That means, though, therefore, that we've got to kind of ask Holy Spirit, how can we move closer together? How do we do this unity thing, recognizing we have this number of barriers? And, and, and so those are the natural issues. There are so many interpersonal, uh, emotional, spiritual issues where we just, you know, we are so individually led. You know, I mean, we just, everybody has to have their own word about how they're supposed to do whatever they're doing. And everybody has to get their individual, you know, personal prophecy. I just want to say something. I'm a fan of prophecy, personal prophecy. I'm a fan of every individual being a priest before God and hearing the Lord. But I really, I just throw this out there. Don't, don't, don't shoot at me. I really wonder if our current mentality of how every person hears from the Lord and does their own thing really is the biblical expression. Because what I see in the scripture a lot is there is, uh, you know, a, there'll be a, a, a fraternity or an eldership and they're hearing a lot and then they're saying, here's what we're gonna do, church, and the church is doing that together and then different ones are adding pieces but there's, a, there's this common thing where people are moving together. And you're going, no, I knew it. He's going to go for control on the unity thing. No, that's not my point. My point becomes, I just wonder if some of our entrepreneurial, individualistic mentalities in the United States have led us off the path as it relates to being community together, following the leadership of the Holy Spirit together, being part of the body together, and going together. Does that make any sense? The path to unity requires like spiritual violence because we have to come together. And we have so many things that we hold near and dear to ourselves and we don't really want to get rid of. And I just, I mean, just the first thing on, on my mind, it's not really even my personal property, though I think that's huge in America. My personal property, my stuff. That, I'm not even thinking there. I'm thinking about just my opinions. 
my personal opinions of how things should go. And how my own opinions will keep me alienated from truth and keep me out of the life of God. Here's my point. If, if unity is emphasized at this level in the scripture and identified as part of a worthy walk, that must be a higher version of experiencing the life of God than what you experience when you're not in unity with the body. So if that's a better thing, if being united, having people kind of in your face a bit, in your flow, in your heart, connected with one another, if that's the biblical thing, my opinion on some of that is, is off. Because I, I kind of like my privacy. I'm not saying you don't ever get any privacy in unity. I'm just saying there's probably a, a better place in unity by the Spirit that we don't really recognize that we haven't tapped into. I think it's something the Lord wants to emphasize to us. Let me read a few verses. Just work through these verses. I'll just read them. We'll come in for a landing here shortly. Romans 15, verse 5. These will all come up on your screen. I'm going to move kind of quickly. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind, one mind, and one mouth, Glorify the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 16 and 17. Be of the same mind toward one another. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Am I reading the Bible? Is this doing violence to anybody's individualism? (laughs) Philippians 2, 1. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, here's Paul, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, be of one mind. Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. That you may inherit a blessing. You could go down Peter's list just as easily as you could go down Paul's list. This is emphasized Book after book, epistle after epistle, it's emphasized. I started thinking about it. When you have the person, now let, let's, just, let's just take it a little bit, uh, let's go a little bit broader. I don't want to talk about individual strife in the church because I recognize, I recognize leaders love to pound on the issue of strife to, to you know, kind of, uh, cement their position in leadership and it kind of, it can get a little bit weird. L- let me just emphasize this. What about in the church when you actually have other believers that don't go to your church? And in the church, you say negative things about the other church? 
What about that? Is that the spirit of the Lord? Is it preserving the unity? Is it diligently preserving preserving the unity of the spirit? Man, I just looked at that. I go, Lord. Ah. And, and, and again, I personally don't feel like I'm the guy that's shooting at other ministries, but man, I know that's in my heart. I want to love the bride. I want to be united with the bride. I want to love everybody that names the name of Christ and bless them and never let that demonic, divisive thing hinder the unity of the Spirit. Come on. When you've got people taking shots at the bride, talking down and and accusing I mean, I'm talking about people that love Jesus and they're, and they're aiming at them because they go to a different church. Beloved, there's something really, really not right about that. I want to emphasize that strongly and I want to strongly admonish this community. Do not ever lift your voice negatively toward any other church who names the name of Christ. Amen. As it relates to IHOP, as it relates to our churches, as it relates to our community, let us be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit with all who call on the name of Jesus. Amen. They believe that Jesus is Lord. They believe the blood of Jesus cleanses you from sin. Grace by faith. They believe the the standards, the, the, the orthodoxy... Man, they are our brothers and sisters, whether or not they believe every nuance the same. Or whether they're doing it right in our mind or not. How y'all doing? Man, I, man, I was just convicted over this. Now, let's bring it local. If that's the case as it relates to all the brothers and sisters that are named under the name of Jesus, how much more in the local congregation should there be a diligence to be united and to not allow divisions and strife and and just ugliness, you know, begin to direct how we operate internally? How, How much more with the local congregation should we fight for unity with all humility, with gentleness, bearing with one another. You know what that tells me, bearing with one another? That tells me God is going to put some people in your life that you're going to have to bear with. Come on, say an amen. I mean, you're just going to have to deal with it. You're not going to like everybody and they're not all going to like you. And there's just going to be people that you're going to have to bear with. This is Christianity. Some of this is just like, you know what? We got to get over ourselves and just realize this is big boy time. We got to grow up a little bit of some of this. I mean, you know, hallelujah. I won't go into it. 20 years of pastoral ministry, you see a lot. A lot of times adults will argue just the way my children argue. 
Come on, guys, just bear with one another. Come on, you know. And it's, you know, you'd be counseling 45-year-olds, and it's the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's emphasized, and we need to be diligent about it. Amen. Where was I? Oh, serious nature. I want, I want, you, I want to read a couple verses. These are intense verses. I'm coming in. I'm circling the airport. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. Look at this one. Just let this minister to your heart. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? That just bless your soul. Church of Atlanta. Let's just go beyond our little place. Church of Atlanta, where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal? Let's go local. IHOP Atlanta, where there's divisions, strife, and envy. Are you not behaving carnally? And I tell you, I'm at liberty. If I am all in your business right now, I don't know about it. (laughs) I'm at liberty to be bold as I can on this because I want to set a standard for us on this point. Romans 16, look at this one. Verse 17. I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions. Whoa! Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you've learned and turn away from them? That's what it says. Whoa! Paul is preaching a racial reconciliation message to the church at Rome, trying to get them to come together. And in light of the fact that he's calling them together in unity, he's saying anybody that's not going to go with this, he goes, seriously, they need to just step out. And those that are going with it need to go together, and those that won't, don't. I mean, he is so hardcore about this. Look what he says. For such men are slaves, not of the Lord Jesus but of their own appetites. And by smooth, by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. He's talking about people who, you know, pull a few people aside and start sowing strife about others and, and creating dissensions and divisions because they're a slave of their own opinions, their own desires, their own appetites. And when I started looking at the, the volume of verses over this issue, I was blown away. And so if this is an issue for you right now, if you're finding yourself in contention, disunity, strife, if you're sowing slander, if you're speaking negatively, I'm urging you, I'm urging you, stop. Repent and be reconciled. And if you're not in that place right now, and if you don't know of any divisions, and you don't know of any challenges, then I'm urging you, take heed to what the scripture says and let this be a governor for days ahead when you have to bear along with someone. When you have to work through with somebody, when there is a collision. I'm convinced of it, guys. God is the one that sets up the collisions. Uh Uh-huh. 
You go, man, that person, if they just, I just don't like them, and every time I talk to them, it's just a problem. God's going, that's right. I brought them right there. I'm going to have them sit right next to you next week. Because I want your heart. I'm not after your preferences. There's actually my will that I want to have happen. And I want you to be conformed to the image of my son. I'm after your heart, so I'm going to invite you to be able to bear with someone. You know what I'm talking about. You get around that person, and they just know, they know how to go like from zero to 60 in like one second. They know how to get to your last nerve immediately. You're having a great day until, dun, dun. The Lord's doing that, guys. That is not the devil. Quit trying to rebuke the devil. The Lord is doing that to get your heart. He wants you to be humble and gentle and patient. Why? Because that's how he is. And if you live that way, you live worthy of him. Two more verses. Jude 1. It actually identifies that at the end of the age, this issue will become prominent. Disunity, division, strife, discord. People slandering those in the body. The body taking shots at itself. Verse 17. Jude 1, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. He's quoting 2 Peter 3 right there. That's, he, Jude is quoting Peter. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. At the end of the age... There will be those who are slanderers, mockers, causing divisions. And look what the scripture says. They are carnal or worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. I do not want to be in that group. I do not want to be the worldly minded, devoid of the spirit guy. If they name the name of Christ, I love them. Well, Billy, don't you know they said this about IHOP? They said that you're a cult leader. I love them. They love Jesus. I love them. I'm not going to revile. I'm not going to fire back. I'm not going to do any of that. Listen, we're in the Southeast. We're in the Bible Belt. There's all sorts of, you know, uh, different doctrines around. As soon as I bought into the the, the biblical idea of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and and, uh, speaking in other tongues, I've heard the word cult. I go, man, Paul spoke in tongues, Peter. I mean, basically all the disciples did. Huh, it's pretty emphasized. Cult. Well, you know what? That's fine. If you, if, you, if you feel that way, that's fine. I love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, I love you. We don't have to fight. I'm not going to fight back. Because I do not want to be in that place. Causing divisions, causing strife, being in envy. Worldly, carnally minded, trying to protect, defend myself. What did Jesus do when he was reviled? Did he fight back? Did he give the theological treatise on how come he is the son of God in the flesh? Did he? Did he unpack Isaiah 53? 
guys, Isaiah 53. Did he do any of that? Did he quote one Old Testament prophecy? He didn't do any of it. He shut his mouth and like a lamb he was led to the slaughter. Beloved, if, he, if that was Jesus' testimony even unto death, why would we fight back when we're reviled? Why would we get into these bickering war things? Why would we, why would we isolate amongst doctrines? Man, we love Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Let's be united in the bond of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's just live there. It's a lot less stressful. Last verse, Romans 12. What do you do if unity is not possible? Because I know what that's like. You try to be united, and for whatever reason, you, you feel like you're doing everything you know to do, and it's still not working. What do you do? Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. What do you do when unity is not possible? Be at peace. Live peaceably. Don't take aim, don't fire, don't shoot anybody, don't defend, just be at peace and bless. Beloved, this is a worthy walk. Not an easy walk, a worthy walk. I wish walking worthy of the Lord was also easy as could be. His yoke is easy, but I tell you, it will bring the end of us. Conformed to the image of Christ, crucified with Christ, it will cost us our preferences, our opinions, our own ways. Amen. I want to walk worthy of the Lord. I want to walk worthy of the Lord. I realized I saw such a precious unity in the believers in China. They're very communally minded. And they know that if they don't unite with one another, They've got persecution all day long. So that the little heat of persecution unites them. They stand fast together and they wrestle, they fight together for the gospel. I'm like, oh, it's worthy to live this way for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Oh. I'm not going to do an altar call. (laughs) Because we should all answer it. I don't want to embarrass anybody by answering it or not answering it. I should answer it. You should answer it. We should answer it. Let's just allow the Lord to speak to our hearts right now. I I want this to be be so plumb lined and cemented in, in in the culture of who we are that we will not fire at the household of faith. We just won't. We won't speak ill of people privately, publicly, in any way. We, just, we love those who love Jesus. Lord, I'm asking for help. Help internally that we would walk through the, the numbers of collisions and challenges with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, diligent to preserve unity. 
And God, that we would love your body, we'd love the bride, whatever denomination, whatever uh, orientation, wherever she is, we would love the bride, the church in the city, we would love her, we would love her. Lord, I thank you for the word. It's clean. It's convicting. It penetrates and it it pierces our heart. I thank you for helping us to be united. And giving us a different vision than any human sentimental visions of unity. Giving us a vision of what it means to be united in the Holy Spirit. With one mind, with one mouth, glorifying the Lord.